Hello guys, welcome to episode 52 and that means it is our one year anniversary. Come on, the crowd's going wild. Wait, nope. Hold on, no, no, do it again. Alright, they're going wild. We're here with Bullet and we're going wild. Bullet, you gonna clap? No? Alright. Uh, again, guys, happy year, one year anniversary. Uh, I had done this episode three times over, two, three times. I really didn't know what I wanted to do for a one-year anniversary. I had many ideas, but honestly, this episode came out of nowhere. It is. It actually is Father's Day. It's coming out on Tuesday, so two days later, but it's still, you know, still in the same frame of... Uh, it's still in the area of Father's Day. So we're going to go with that. Um, I hope you all enjoyed this episode. I thank you all for your support and love, and I appreciate it, really. It's Father's Day, and... Um, it's a holiday that a lot of people can't appreciate or accept or, or even want to celebrate because of bad memories. Um, and me and Wayne and I go into some really deep topics and we talk about some really hard feelings and emotions and pain and and we unravel things, but it all is connected. And, and, uh, I hope you guys take something from it. And like I said, I'm, I'm very grateful for everyone who supported this podcast. I'm trying to take this somewhere. I care so much, um, so you all are, you know, I'm always, I'm in debt to all of you, I really am, for everyone, even if you listen to one episode, you listen to one minute, one episode, I don't care, thank you again, and um, Bullet and I's one of your anniversaries coming up, huh, big guy, no noise, so you want to make noise when I'm half asleep or trying to get up for work, but you don't want to make noise for the audience, they love you, Bullet. You want to purr for the crowd? Okay. Why are you sounding like a mouse? Okay, he's just rubbing against the mic. He just He's not interested in you guys right now. He's just kind of sleeping here next to me, and he just, he's not, uh, he's being bashful. Oh, boy. Okay. Anyway, guys, happy one-year anniversary. Happy one-year anniversary. Can't believe we made it this far. And um, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. And uh, yeah, let's just get with this episode because it's going to be a long one, but very special episode, as I always say. But for real this time, well, they're all for real, but just pretend like I never said it ever because uh, I'm an idiot. Uh, anyway, happy Father's Day, guys. I can't, I don't even know how to get to this. I don't know. I'm a terrible at transitioning to the next thing. Uh, anyway, guys, welcome our next guest. Okay, guys, so we're here with a, another guest. Um, so this one, I we found each other, I believe, on Facebook. And, um, you know, we've been talking back and forth. We had another date set up that we actually, I didn't tell him, that we actually both forgot about. Um, and, you know, I got, to, I, got, I got to know him a little bit more uh, the other day. And he had an idea, um, being a father and, and Father's Day, which is actually as we're recording this, is today. Um, and, you know, he had an idea. He ran it by me, and I, I really liked it. Um, and I thought it had a nice message in it. And, you know, cause I've talked about some of my past history with, you know, father figures and my father in my life. Um, and, of course, he has some stuff on homelessness and stuff that I've also delved into. Um, so why don't you tell us uh, your name and, you know, a little about yourself. Uh, I'm Wayne Shipman. I usually have to spell it if that's H-I-P-M-A-N. <laughs> I've had some fun with that through the years. 
But uh, yeah, today is hot. today is Father's Day, and uh, at least for me, it's not a bad thing anymore. You know, I, I, I through the years, this was the holiday of the year that was the most difficult to deal with. Uh, before I was homeless, while I was homeless, and after I got back on my feet through the years. I mean, I'm 53 years old now, and I think I've got three I've got three adult children, and they're all close to 30 years old, and we have six grandchildren all together in the, in the families across America. You know, obviously, I don't live with any of them or whatever, and product of divorce. And, uh, but I got six grandbabies now and, uh, kind of scary, you know, they're coming into the world just around the COVID area. And, uh, this has changed things, you know, TJ, COVID has changed everything, but for the homeless people, man, uh, COVID has really had had its effects on the homeless communities far and wide and and, uh, most of us can't possibly imagine you know really what they're going through just being homeless right now during covid has been a major impact in our society where uh, you know previous to covid i mean when i was homeless a few years ago to be honest uh, i was in portland oregon when i was living outdoors as a homeless person. I've kind of traveled the country and I went kind of freelance partying for a while and riding the Greyhound buses. And, you know, I'd show up in a town and work one of the labor, temp labor gigs or something and stay in the mission shelters. And honestly, I didn't really know that was being homeless. I just thought that was like kind of just kicking it, having fun. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, but I was real deal homeless in Portland, Oregon even to the extent that I lived out in a tent out in a little patch of woods just outside of town there. And uh, I that was par- probably the darkest, most difficult period of my life because I was in this big metropolitan city for the first time noticing other homeless people. And, uh, I mean, I wasn't homeless, you know, when I got there and everything, but my situation turned worse and worse as I was trying to deal with major depression. And uh, I had some really serious anger problems. Um, Later on, a few years later, I started going to, you know, therapy and counseling. And I had actual psychologists or psychiatrists and doctors giving me those psychological evaluations. And uh, we were able to kind of pinpoint some of my most obvious issues and uh, you know I, I I didn't know at the time that I was dealing with some bipolar I had bipolar depression you know kind of from an from a late teenage years through my early 20s and it was a mild kind of bipolar depression but it kept reoccurring and then you know when I actually ended up divorced and uh, kind of living separate from my children, uh, I started feeling some elements of shame. Like every year, Father's Day would come around, and I would go out of my way. And I, I think I was trying a little too hard, pushing myself, you know. But 
I would start calling them and texting them, you know, like a week before Father's Day and stuff. And it was hard on all of us because, you know, one of my messages that I'm hoping to uh, communicate to the homeless community is, you know, society tends to try and make things picturesque. You know, we're supposed to be a certain way. We're supposed to think a certain way and act a certain way. And so, you know, fathers are expected to be a certain way as a father. <laughs> and it's it's sort of generic. And each person, each family has their own situations. You know, everybody's everybody's situation is unique. And but every every personality, every person has their own personality, you know. And when you're blending personalities and they're all trying to live together and everything, um, it, it gets really difficult because Father's Day and Mother's Day in particular, by society standards, is supposed to, like, portray, you know, the the happy family, you know. The, you know right. it, when, it, when it's Mother's Day, then everybody brings mom flowers and we take her out to dinner and, you know, we tell her, thank you for being my mom. And, you know, the truth is some children have a hard time saying that. <laughs> and, and on Father's Day, it's the same thing. You know, some children have a really hard time. Even if they love just, them. Yeah, even if they love them to death, man. It's just usually, like in my case, I mean, obviously I don't want to, you know, get too much into private matters, but my children were pretty young, you know, six, seven, eight years old, and they were witnessing me and my former spouse kind of arguing a lot and right. not real happy. You know, we weren't happy being together. And, it, it, you know, I had a lot of depression issues at the time, and I had anger issues, but, but it wasn't amplified. It wasn't an actual disorder. I don't think it was an actual disorder at that time. It became a disorder over the years by not being able to cope with my feelings and things. So when I was separated from my family there, uh, you know, as a person being homeless, all, you know, just being out in public, just seeing all the other families, you know, like today is Father's Day. So anywhere you go, you know, you see fathers and kids and the kids are kind of dancing around their dads and they're all excited and they're going to get ice cream or they're going to get dinner or whatever they're doing. But, you know, what's on my heart right now is the reality is, as you know, there's a 65% divorce rate in our country. Yep. It's been that way for a long time, I well, think. Before you go into that, I, I wanted to add something. Um, you were you were talking about just arguing in front of your kids and just bringing that back to my story quickly. Like, you know, my mom and dad, they got a divorce. I don't know when I was like five. I was four, actually, because I remember I was in Philly when I was five. But about four and a half, I wasn't too long out of the hospital. And, you know, they're just arguing. And, and you know, my dad's coming home late and my mom has just had it. And they're both just arguing constantly in front of me. And I'm like picking sides and all that. And. Yeah, you don't realize how much that has effect on them because you know I'm four and a half, so you know my brain isn't yeah. all there, but I know enough, and all I really wanted was a happy family, <clears throat> and then, yeah. you know, they fell apart, and of course, you know, 
I went back and forth for a while, dad on the weekends, mom during the week. And then it got to the point where it was just, you know, there was times my dad would be too drunk and, you know, and I just started picking sides and I really wanted to be with my mother because she sacrificed so much for me when I was sick. And, you know, but there was a part of me that really hurt when I told my dad no, because then the rest of the, his side of the family went their way and then they kind of just did what he did. Um, (laughs) And so that I lost that. And again, I'm not blaming anyone. It is what everybody plays a part in this. Um, and then, sure. and then my sister's dad came into my life and I loved him and that fell apart and I saw the destruction of that. And that actually went on longer because, you know, I was only four, but when he was out of the household, I was probably around 13, maybe, no, maybe around 16, somewhere around there. Oh, so, yeah. so he was around even longer. So I saw the destruction of that family. Uh, and it re- and I saw what it did to my sister and, you know, it, it, stuff like that doesn't really get talked about a whole lot because it's just like, you don't really know exactly. as a parent, you know, I don't have any kids, so I, I don't know what that's like, but I know what it's like to be the kid. Um, yes. and, and it can be very destructive because you, you, you grow up in this household and you, you're brought in this world by these two people that you care about more than anything, or at least most kids do, uh, at least at some point in, in their life. Um, and then it breaks up and then, you get old enough. Like in my case, I get old enough. And now I'm like, okay, obviously I completely favor my mother, but there's still always this like love and care for my father. And then I see now he's older and he's sickly and, you know, and and I'm trying to make amends the best way I can, even though it's not really mostly my fault here, but I'm trying to fix it. And it's like, you know, that's why I think this topic is so good because it's one of those where it's just like, you know, it brings stuff up for me too. Cause I'm just like, I don't, I'm kind of me, you and I are kind of on the opposite spectrum of it. I'm the kid in this situation, and you're the father. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm sorry. I was just kind of throwing my own thing here. But, um, but yeah, as you were saying. Hey, man, it's a, it's a universal. You know, hearing you say that, <laughs> I came from an extremely violent, busted-up kind of family background. And when it was my turn to be out here, you know, to be honest with you, I had to start when I was 18 years old, leaving the house. I had to start there and really figure out what the world is about. And I I was living on kind of fantasized idealism about patriotism. And I joined the army, which is something I swore I would never do. my, My mother was in the military and my stepdad wasn't at the time when I was really young. You know, uh, before I dive there, there's a couple things that I hope you can help me kind of nail down in this because it's so universal. Number one is I've heard in more than one of your podcasts, you talk about there's an obvious difference between a visible disability and an invisible disability. (laughs) Okay. You know, someone in a wheelchair or someone using crutches or someone, you know, with a prosthetic limb, that's something we can see. And we know, you know, they they have a challenge. But most of us are walking around and there's there's. You know, there's there's very disturbing things that we're carrying around with us, but it's 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 a taboo. We have to keep it unspoken. You know, we like you said, it's something that really doesn't get talked about and doesn't get dealt with. Yeah. And so then what I've realized in my experience, because since I was homeless, I, my last night 
my last night out under the stars as a homeless person was 2007. Okay. Okay. And from that time until this day, 2021, I've been on a sort of journey of recovery um, that I decided to take the challenge. I challenged myself to go on this journey and it's turned into something where I've had to go back in time and literally open up those wounds and memories and deal with them, right. uh, mostly privately. Um, you know, some of the people that were involved back then, it's so ancient and outdated now. It's not fair to them to call them up on the phone and just like yell at them and say, man, you really hurt me back there. And I just wanted to tell you about it. You know, that's not really what I've been doing. Uh, but so there's the invisible, invisible disabilities issue. And a lot of times, you know, TJ, when we get on this topic, it's kind of assumed that what we're talking about is like severe mental disabilities or, you know, severe disorders, you know, personality disorders and, you know, medicated treatments and all that stuff. You know, with a 65% divorce rate, I keep coming back to that because I discovered this truth as a homeless person. Uh, sitting around with other homeless people, a lot of times we end up talking to each other, you know, just talking. And it's like, well, what happened to you, man? You know, like, why are you out here? You know, and pretty soon we start talking about the real deal issues that we tell each other as a homeless person that we've never really dealt with until we're sitting on a bench somewhere and we don't know what else to do. Right. <laughs> and that's sort of a, you know, it's a bad thing, but that's what they say. You have to hit rock bottom. Yeah. Right. And, and then, I think most people then, would consider homeless being rock bottom. At rock bottom, yeah. And uh, but you know, some people experience homeless, and it's a temporary transition. It's right, just right. real quick. You know, they're out there and they they're sleeping in their car or something, and then their car gets towed away or you know whatever, and they're homeless. Well, then if they don't if they don't have these issues that I'm talking about, I'm talking about carrying around serious unresolved issues. Um, you know that turn into like guilt and shame and a really serious depression that even medications don't seem to fix. You know, it, it kind of numbs the pain. And like with me, with my, my anger issues, you know, the medication treatments that they were, you know, experimenting with for a while, they were helping to kind of manage what they called manage my, uh, the brain chemistry. You know, when, when you, have a bipolar kind of issue it's not just a trigger into depression my brain actually filters things in a way that puts me into depression and then i have to work myself out of it deliberately and that's what bipolar anger does i get triggered not necessarily now but before before i knew what it was before i had any skills of dealing with it managing it sensing it when it was coming when i was going to be triggered i knew i had to figure this stuff out well before that my children would see me walk in set the keys down kind of come down sit down at the table and hang out and you know my wife would walk by and she would just kind of look at me sarcastic or whatever you know the kids didn't even notice what was going on but there's a history there with me and my spouse so she would trigger me and i would just come off the wall just blah 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 
And then I would slam the door and walk outside. And I would stand outside and go, what in the world was that all about there, Wayne? You know, <laughs> you know, and it was a surprise to me as much as it was anyone else. And so that was kind of my invisible, my invisible disability that I'm kind of referring to. Right. And that thing can spiral and spiral and spiral. And part of what I think is our kind of our downfall as the proud patriotic society that we are, there's so many things that we, we shush each other and we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to bring it up. We don't want to deal with it. Well, eventually the person carrying those things are the ones that are wounded and nowhere to go with it, no way to process it. And so my homeless experience started out as, hey, you know what? I'm having such a hard time. I would get a job, lose a job, get a job, lose a job. And I just took to the streets because in Portland at the time, there was infinite resources. You know, there was mission shelters on every other city corner, you know, day shelters, night shelters, places to go hang out and just activities for the homeless. You know, they would line up on the sidewalk, several hundred people, and they would have like cookouts and just serve the homeless. And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go hang with these people for a while. Well, I got stuck out there, to be honest. I got stuck. I went out for the summer and just kind of hung out and partied with everybody, and I was big into smoking pot back then. That was my go-to thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Man, I get depressed or angry or whatever, and just poof, that was my go-to thing. Before you, uh, and, before you go on, one of the things you said about um, us being, like, very patriotic and so on and, and – you know, the irony of it's like, we're so patriotic, but some of the people that are suffering the most are the people that come back from war and they're missing a limb or obviously their PTSD, depression and all that yeah. is, is so bad. Yeah. And we don't seem to give a shit about them. Um, you know, yes, there are causes and so on, but everyone's like, oh, we care so much about them. But it's almost like when they come back, we don't have any use for them. It's like, oh, yeah, well, now they're disabled. So now they're not our heroes because they didn't they didn't go in it looking. They didn't come out looking or they didn't go out the same way they came in. Uh, no, right. And you know, and those are people that are suffering and it, you know, goes back to everything you were just saying. And, and you know, the inner dis, I mean, obviously the outer disability, you know, if you have a missing a limb, they notice that more, yeah. but most of them come back and aren't missing limbs. They come back and they're just damaged. Otherwise they're now in a totally different they society. Are. They're not allowed to just pull a gun out and shoot some enemy or whatever. Even yeah. if it's somebody who's, trying to get in their house. You know, there's so many different state laws and everything. They can't just yeah. act upon the way they would uh, if right. they were on the battlefield. And so uh, from a person who has both an inner and an outer disability, it's it's rough because obviously most people recognize my outer disability, but the one that's inside, it's more, you know, it gets yeah. considered crazy or, you know, you're just off or something, you know, weird about you. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, but it's like, hey, I can't help this one. Honestly, I I, I prefer my outer disability. Like, I, I wish I didn't have the. If I can choose one or the other, I would take my eye problem. No, you know, no deal. <laughs> it's it's not even close. Because I I hate you know. I've this. I've spent some time. Well, like I said, I grew up in an army family. My mother joined the army, which at the time was a really great thing because she joined the army like in the early seventies, and we were living in. Harlan, Kentucky, literally up on the side of a mountain with an outhouse, okay, kind of thing. 
and I joke with people now, but I think, you know, if, if my mom didn't get us out of Kentucky, I would be on one of those guys right now on uh, Moonshine, you know, or one of them shows. And I'd be showing you my still up there in the yard, you know. Right. But she took us out of there. But, you know, especially when I was homeless, I started noticing I was hypersensitive to the veterans out there. I was in the Army for three and a half years. Uh, I got put out, actually. Uh, six months before my term was up because I, I just got to a point where I was coming to work every day, depressed, angry, sad. I had a, my first baby was born. I was stressed. I was confused. And at that time in the, in the 1988, 1989, 1990, the military, they didn't really, they didn't have a stronghold on helping soldiers that had these problems, these emotional issues. We were supposed to come to work composed, proud, and sharp. Uniform, sharp, boots polished. You know, don't give me none of that. Uh, you know, my girlfriend's got a baby kind of thing. Soldier, you got a job to do. Let's go do it. Hut, hut, hut. Let's go. Right. Well, the whole time we were out there, my mind was back home, you know. And it got to where, you know, I was getting in trouble for having my attitudes which inflamed more of a problem because there was no place for me to go to cope with it. And, and to be honest with you, so I started noticing other soldiers, young soldiers like myself that had the same problem. We were confused. We, it turned into a we thing and it was more people than you could imagine that had young adapting skills. We had, we had a problem adapting to this new environment of the military. And so getting out, Later on, when I was a homeless person, I started really kind of hanging around these guys that I would find out were, you know, out of the military, even if they were not war veterans. A lot of them were kind of experiencing a sort of an emotional trauma in depression, which is a form of PTSD. It's not battle related, but post-traumatic stress is, you know, it's, it's, there's an umbrella that, that, that can get in there look man he I, I met this one guy and he said you know what brother he said you know we're out here in society and everybody's like all upset because we come back from a, a tour of duty and we just can't function on the job he goes he goes how the hell do you expect me to go into the office and you know kind of put on a, a tie and you know, be a happy guy at the office. He said, I just came back from some of the worst stuff I've ever seen in my life. And he says, I'm not a trained killer. He said, but I had to go out there and, and survive. And I had to defend my country and I had to defend myself. He said, but you know what? He said, I wasn't fighting for the president and I wasn't fighting for my damn company out there. He says, I was fighting for my wife and kids back home. I was fighting for my grandpa that used to take me fishing. I was fighting for my dad you know, that taught me how to drive. He said, that's what I was fighting for. He says, you know, the country's got their agenda and the government has their agenda. He says, but what we're fighting for when we go out there as buddies, as brothers in the trenches, we're fighting for our damn families back home. Right. He said, so then we come back home and they expect us to just go get a job because we're out of the military now. He says, I'm sorry, but we just don't know what to do with all the rage we have. And he says, you know, I did what I had to do, he said, but what shames me the most is the things I had to do, you know, he said. 
it wasn't necessarily the things that I saw that gave me this trauma. He said, I'm ashamed of myself because before I went in the military, I would have never done any of that stuff, you know. Right. But he says, he says more veterans come back and there's just not a system, like you said, there's not a system to catch them when they come back. And it's kind of like, we just don't know what to do with them. <laughs> and the old military mind was, hey, snap it up, soldier. You know, you joined the army, you joined the military, you knew what you were getting into. Well, kind of, I didn't. Right. But other than that, we just didn't know how to adjust back into what psychiatrists and everybody calls normalcy, you know? Right, but our and normalcy this, is so this, different, too, because we celebrate you guys going over there and killing and destroying and doing all these things. And again, what you guys do, guys yeah. do is brave and so on. But if yeah. someone did that to us, we would condemn them and say, this is terrible. So, in, oh, yeah. so we're sending you guys on missions to do terrible things to other people, regardless if, if it's right or wrong or they're the enemy or we're the enemy. We don't even care. We just look at it like we want to win, you lose. You know, it, it, we treat it just like yeah. we treat sports. And it's America not sports. Yeah, it's we're talking about people. We're talking about hundreds to thousands of people's lives, and and their you know their civilization just being destroyed. We're just going through people's towns and destroying. You know, kids can get killed, and you know, innocent women and an elderly can get killed, and it doesn't matter as long as we, you know, complete a mission. And again, there, there's plenty of good that gets yeah. done and so on. But this is the reason why a lot of these guys come back because now they have to live with the fact that maybe a kid got you know, destroyed in a drone strike. And it's like, but, but they got some crazy guy from Al Qaeda and it's like, yeah, we got this top ISIS guy, but we also killed six kids or, or whatever, you know, like, well, when, they also see, they also see down at the end of their barrels. And I don't really want to get off track here. And just right. Right. I know we can get off this, this quick. But one thing they see while they're looking through their scope is children on the other side with rifles aiming back at them. And they're looking right. at children that are the same age of their kids back at home playing soccer. Right, right. 12, 13, 14, 16 years old. And they're looking across the field at kids who are basically raised up to be military soldiers, you know. But, right. Uh, the trauma of dealing with things, especially on Father's Day, uh, you know, one thing I've come to realize, TJ, is shame and disgrace is very real right. depression anxiety bipolar i mean all of these things that we can put a label on first of all society must come to a place where we just agree with each other these are very real right well i think and I th whether i think that whether you're a veteran or just a homeless guy these things are very real right no that's why i think it's a very it's very parallel because even though you know we don't want to go too off topic with it but it is a way of how a person can be so messed up from one situation, how you could become you or I more so you yeah. in this situation because you actually served, but you know, it's just one, you know, one obstacle or it's just one situation of how you could become screwed up and have mental health and have one of these invis invisible disabilities. Um, but there's so many other ways, but a lot of times, even when we say PTSD, we always refer to soldiers, but there's many forms of PTSD. If you get raped, oh, yeah. there's PTSD yeah. in that. You know, there's PTSD. Yeah. I'm sure there's PTSD from just being homeless. There's PTSD yeah. from so many different things. So it, it is applicable because it, you know, it, it's just one incidence. But yeah, um, home fires, car accidents. You know, there's boating accidents. I mean, people come out of there 
uh, wounded emotionally. But uh, I I started back in 2005, okay, is when I really became homeless, living outdoors. And people started saying, hey, man, you know, what are you going to do this winter? And I'm like, winter? It's 4th of July. You know, I ain't care about the winter. And they're like, dude, winter's coming. Like, you need to get ready for winter because if you're going to be homeless in the winter, it's very different. And I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. I'll just go get a job, you know. Well, I started that trying to go get a job. And, uh, you know, it's real tough. One thing we don't give the homeless credit for is just being willing to get up in the morning wherever they sleep, mm-hmm. even if it's, you know, in a dorm or in a shelter or behind the bushes, they're willing to get up every day, comb their hair, come back out and be seen. Yeah. Knowing that everyone's looking at them and they know that they're homeless, they're still willing to come out and keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. And that's where I started really wanting to like advocate for them. So, while I was homeless, I sort of made myself a proclaimed advocate, you know. And so I started trying to go to some of the public meetings and things. You know, it's really easy for the public. Anybody in public can go to certain events that are set up, like city hall meetings. There's meetings going on all the time that people don't attend. So then when city hall gets together and they say, you know, we got enough budget to do this, this, or this. We got three choices, and we need to know where to put these funds. And four people show up. You know, well, my vote is this and that and the other thing. Right. And it was a, it was I. I saw from the inside how when people don't really get involved and they don't participate in some way, I don't mean that they all have to go out, you know, giving you know sack lunches and all of that stuff, but. People that do not get involved. It's kind of like, I do not want to get political here, but people that do not cast a vote, then they're all upset about who's in the office. People that don't understand the politics, and I'm not saying that I do, but as an observer, if you didn't vote for someone, then what voice do you have? You know, do you have a right just because you're an American or just because you're in a free country? Well, here we are on Father's Day. And I'm kind of, I'm on the fence between how, you know, what is, what really is my assignment to do with, uh, I mean, I I want to have a website, I want to do podcasting, I want to do something, I want to go to the homeless missions, I want to serve food, I want to do something for the homeless, because I'm not homeless anymore, and I think the homeless people really respect and respond to people that were formerly homeless that reach back. And so kind of by being here and talking to you today is kind of my start on doing that. And I I hope your audience, you know, I really believe by by hearing some of your your interviews already, you're going to be one of the big time YouTubers not you know it's not going to take you very long to get a really amazing audience and it's important to lay out certain things and 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 one of those things that i don't want to to be missed by people that hear us 
the invisible disabilities that we live with or the invisible wounds that we carry around are very real. Right. We don't People even know they're there to, half the time. Oh yeah. yeah. You, you know, you can't, I've got a scar on the left side of my face. It's huge. You know, when I was younger, I ran into a piece of playground equipment. I was running a football dude and I was looking backwards. This guy was almost catching me. You know, I think back then we called it smear the queer. <laughs> of course. There really wasn't any rules. You get the ball, you run, you know, you try to get a point. I was looking backwards, and they were all pointing, pointing, pointing. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And I turned around and looked, and I ran smack into one of the swing sets. Like, one of the, ugh, cut my face open. I got this obvious scar here. Well, I have a lot of scars that I carry around, and unless we start talking about it, you don't know they're there. Yeah. And I've at least come to the point of acceptance and healing and it's Father's Day, and up until only probably three or four years ago, Father's Day would send me into a loop of depression that started one day after Mother's Day. Yeah. I kind of wish we would have Mother's Day, and the following weekend was Father's Day. We could crunch it up, get it together, knock get it, it done, yeah, knock it out. But dude, it's like six weeks. Well, it's funny that you just and said. I'm, it's funny that you just said yeah. that because I remember. I don't know, maybe we'll just say 10 years ago, I was in therapy and my therapist was just kind of prodding and trying to get some stuff out of me, which I'm very open. I, but she, she's like, well, you don't ever really talk about your father much. And I'm like, well, I mean, I don't know how much is there. And, and then we, we went on, like, we, you know, we did a whole hour on it. And I realized yeah. like how much anger and resentment and how much was there uh, that yeah. I hadn't addressed to him outwardly, to myself, uh, to my mother, to anybody. And I realized I was going on these like anger filled rants and I was just like, holy shit. Like I really am carrying something that I just didn't want to address. Um, which is why I'm trying to be friends with my father now. Part of the reason. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, and father's day comes around and it's like, I I plan on calling him later and just seeing how he's doing. But it's just, it's just one of those things where it's just like, you, you, like you said, you don't know how much you carry until one day it just kind of seeps out and you're just, you're sitting there left with yourself yeah. going, what the hell was that? And, yeah. And it's been there the whole time. Exactly. You just kept going by it. Yeah. You know, it's just like going through the closet and you're, so, you're, you're looking for a shirt or you're looking for something and every, you just keep swiping past and it's there. You just kept, you just got ah, yeah, there. there. And then one day you just, you know, maybe something that was covering it falls down and you go, holy shit, there it is. And yeah. it's right in front of you and, and it's beyond, you know, and now it's not invisible anymore. Um, yeah, I'll tell you something, um, just so that, you know, people that are listening to this can get a sense of perspective. And I, I, I'm usually pretty, pretty self-reserved about telling too much, you know, Right, right. and my intention here is not targeted to anyone that I know in particular, but I want to let you guys know. This is much more common than we realize, and it's there's more people carrying around that kind of. It's not anger, TJ. It's it's pain. It's it's unresolved things that convert to pain. It's an emotional pain, and when we feel that pain, it kind of reveals in anger because it's like, oh my god, and you know, you're not sure what you're mad about. You're not sure what to be pissed off about, but it's there. Right. 
So just to give you a rundown, I'm going to do this really quick, okay? And this is this will be a testimony for how far I've come because I chose, and I want homeless people to hear this, especially on any holiday. I chose to take this journey, and what it meant was I had to go inside with myself, kind of like Rocky Balboa in the ring. I was getting beat up, knocked down, knocked out, bloody, and I kept getting up. I kept getting up. I kept getting up. And even at the end, when Apollo Creed thought he knocked him down for real, he turned his back, raised his arms. Everybody started going nuts because Rocky stood up one more time. He barely moved his gloves. Remember that? His gloves were down by his waist, and he was going, come on, come over here. And Apollo Creed looked down, and he shook his head, and he was like, this guy is crazy. I'm going to have to, like, actually hurt this fool, you know. Right. I'm that guy, but the fight was with myself, okay? The, the best analogy was actually the last Rocky where he's older, and he's talking to his son because his son is embarrassed of, of kind of living in his father's shadow. And he's kind of letting life beat him down, and and he's talking to him and saying like, you know, you you know, you're part of me, and and you know, you're not a quitter, and you're quitting on everything, and, and life is gonna beat yeah. you harder than anyone will ever do, and it, it it's your choice to either get up or let life beat you to the ground. Um, yeah, and that's what you have. I mean, yeah, you you choose to lay down and let life consume you, or you get up and you fight to either get knocked down again, but you get back up and you just keep pushing, or you just you just give up. You got two choices. Well, I was, I honestly speaking, I was at a point uh, in my campsite in 2005. And like I said, this turned into three years, 2005, six and seven. I went, I went heavy back into drugs when there was no drugs. I was drinking, I was smoking a pack a day when I couldn't buy cigarettes. I was finding them. We called it snipe hunting. You walk around staring down at the sidewalks and you pick up other people's cigarettes what I was doing is I'd go I'd go get me one of them little packs of rolling papers and I would find cigarettes and then I would re-roll it. Well, you talk about a harsh cigarette. I was gagging on that. Dude, I had a I had a rope up in a tree at my campsite, okay? And I didn't put it up there for the reason, but I, I was actually hanging my backpack off the ground to keep animals out of my backpack because it was attracting animals. The food in my backpack was attracting animals. And the hillside where I lived had these major big rats, which I didn't really know they were there until I was camping out there for a while. And I kept hearing stuff and I'd shine my flashlight outside my tent and there they were just everywhere, big ones. But anyway, one morning I woke up and I was boiling some water to make coffee and I saw this rope hanging there and I didn't have my backpack on it, but it had a little like a fist size loop tied in the end of it. And I just saw it swaying in the breeze and, and, Kind of like a warm smile came over me and I said, you know what? Nobody that knows me by name knows where I am right now. All they know is I'm homeless somewhere in Portland, but they don't know where. Most homeless people didn't know where I was because I would hike way up out of the way so that other people wouldn't bother me. And I'm telling you, that became so appealing. Uh, I started writing journals and stuff, and I started actually trying to write a book about my homeless experiences. And what I call this is um, a rope swing. You know, I looked at this rope swinging in the air, and it looked so appealing. It looked like kind of an instant way out, kind of just a 
you know, if I would stand up on that tree limb down there on the ground, just high enough to tiptoe up and just kind of put that thing on and then just let it happen. All your pain goes I away. I thought that would be the end. And then, but what I kept thinking, what my heart was pulling me because I'm a father. This was not on Father's Day, but the father was in me. And I wanted my children to remember me as a person that was worthy of their respect. I wanted I wanted to be respectable in society in some way. And the only way that I could figure out to do it, and this message goes out to everyone, the only way I could figure out how to do that was come out of the woods, come out of myself, come out of the anger, come out of hiding, kind of and face things, walk straight towards it like we used to do in the military. We used to walk straight towards this thing. But I decided to take this challenge for myself to become a respectable person. And what that meant was I had to learn how to deal with the things that I was wounded about. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm, I'm the kid that grew up in the house. My... I witnessed five marriages by the time I was 12 years old. Okay, and so by the before I was in high school, men were coming into my house, <laughs> kind of like a diamond dozen. You know, it's, who's my who's my stepdad this year? You know, kind of thing. And I was so jealous of my friends because they had really cool dads. You know, they. They were building plastic models with their dads. They were skateboarding. You know, dad was trying. He was falling, but he was out there. Mine wasn't, you know. Right. And so later on, what I've what I've realized, I also witnessed five divorces. They never worked out. None of them did. And the hidden, deep, dark secret that took me decades to deal with is I actually, I I was living a a pretend life because I was I was. I went through an adoption process as a teenager, but I was given false information deliberately so that I would go through with it. Um, The whereabouts of my biological father was kept from me. He kept trying to get in touch with me, but I was never told about it. And later on, this went really, this went far, it it went further than it should have went, which left me so emotionally wounded that it took me literally like 30 years of my life to come to terms with it. But me and my father were tricked into signing the papers of this adoption so that, you know, my mother would have this fantasy family and her husband at the time would be my dad and all this stuff. Well, I had a sister. My sister and I both witnessed all of this. And it took many years for the truth to come out. But when I finally realized what happened, we were tricked and lied to. I found out I had a brother who was 24 years old at the time, and I didn't even know I had a brother. (laughs) Okay. And uh, I had like three other half-sisters on that side of the family. So I've got a brother and four sisters that I grew up without. And so piecing that back together... I was talking earlier about society says this is how we should be as a family and as a father, this is how we're supposed to be as a father. And, you know, our kids are supposed to be a certain way and we want them to join the soccer team and we want them to bring home the report cards and we we want them to go to college. But man, 65% divorce rate in this country, what it means, and I don't know how much longer we have here, but what it means is 
65 out of every 100 families are living separated from each other, okay? Generally, the children are growing up with a man that's not actually their dad, but he has to be the dad. And the father who's out there, regardless if he's doing well or not, he's automatically labeled with some sort of shame, some sort of disgrace by society saying, well, it must be your fault. <laughs> You're the man of the house. You're the father. You were in the military. You had all the chance in the world, but now, look, you're not there. They are with him. So Father's Day now belongs to the stepdad, you know? And for me, what I what angered me so much was the truth was it wasn't really my fault that I wasn't there for my children because this was all between me and my wife. It had nothing to do with parenting. <laughs> And as a homeless person sitting out in the benches of part, part, you know, Portland, Oregon, year after year for Father's Day, I was out there three years in a row on Father's Day. And I was daring enough to come up to other dads, just meaning, and you know, with good intentions, saying, dude, have you tried to call your kids? You know, uh, have you sent a message? You know, have you sent a card? Have you tried, you know, have you tried getting with them? And it's so hard. There's a barrier there. It's so hard to break through because of our own internal shame and guilt that we feel that we're obligated to have. Does that make sense? Like, I feel like I'm supposed to be punished because blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And the truth is more people are carrying these guilt and shame feelings that are self-imposed. And because of that, they cannot break through other areas of their life. They mm -hmm. can't experience what we call you know, think positive and be positive, be optimistic, you know, go get a job, you bum. Well, to get a job, you have to be optimistic in the job or they will send you home. You know, you can't show up talking about your kids and talking about being homeless and crying at your desk or getting mad and cussing everybody out. They send you home. You know? Yeah, it's funny that so, you, um, you said that because I don't think I've ever said this out loud, but you know, there's time, like, I'm not, I'm not super religious, but once in a while I'll pray or whatever. And, you know, and, and there's times where I mean, most of the time I spend most of the prayers, I pray for people that I care about, where it's just somebody's going through something. I'll pray yeah. for something they go through. And there's times I'll just say, look, you know, if you want to continue to punish me, don't worry about getting, finding me a nice girlfriend or finding, you know, healing my eyes or, or, or my mental health, just yeah. take care of them. You know, I'll, yeah. I'll continue to suffer. That's fine. I'll take it. Just they can't take it. Just let them have what they need to have in life. And yeah. uh, please bless them. I see them suffering, and please bless them. You know. Right, and I've done that for pretty much all my friends. I sit there and I, I you know, and I just take it. And I'll say, you know, it'd be nice if I could have this, but if if this is something you're working on for me, just take some more time and 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 work work something out for them, and and I'll be here and whatever. We'll we'll deal with it. I'll tell you what, man. There's a Growing up, you, you probably had this experience a little bit. Growing up, we were always going camping or, you know, hanging out at night, you know, chasing uh, lightning bugs and stuff. Right, right. I'm reminded of some of that now because now I'm a homeowner, by the way. You know, I've, I've come from looking at that rope hanging in the tree as a homeless guy. I decided not to do it. One morning, I finally cut it down. I looked at that rope for like five or six days swinging over there. Every night it was the last thing I'd see when I'd zip up my tent and the first thing I'd see when I'd come out. I chose this journey, guys, to get on top of whatever it was. And 
what you just said was the magic solution. It's where I started taking my eyes off of wanting things to work for me. And even in that sense of, and I'm not trying to be religious, but you get to a point where you become spiritual, you become spiritually aware, and you want things for other people. And that's when healing begins for you. When I started seeing the stars in the skies as a young teenager camping outside, I was fascinated. I was like, man, these things have been out there billions of years. Look how big the moon is. Oh, there's a falling star. I want you to know there's a very different feeling when you're sleeping outside as a homeless person. And you're looking up at the stars and you're looking at the sky and you're going, where are you? You know, you're God. Where are you? Like, you know, I'm here. Yeah. You know what's on my heart. You know what I'm feeling. You know what I'm thinking. You know I want out of this. Yeah. I don't want to be here. You know I'm hanging around these losers down here, and, they, you know, they all got pot and stuff. I don't want to be a part of this. Where's my breakthrough? And you're looking up at the sky going, what? Where are you? You know. Right, and you're, and to- you're, and so you're told that, you know, he loves everyone equally, and you're sitting here starving and living out in the street and—, and you don't have a yeah. place to stay and it's like and you see all these people going by you with money and and happiness and family and you're just sitting there suffering and it's just like it's hard not to internalize well, it and yeah. make it you know why me because you are suffering and, and again it's exactly. but, but it's also you know it's also hard to come to terms with what you have done uh you know in a wrong sense because <laughs> you know you're so yeah you're at your bottom you're so low that it's like yeah. You know, what else? And, and I think well, that's the another... list of things start going through your mind and you're like, am I here because of that? Right. Are you not helping me because I've got to learn something? You know, like I'm sick of learning these lessons. Like I really need a breakthrough, you know, but. Right. But that's you're why right, though, what it, you're doing is noble it, because you said, you know, you're, you're, you know, writing a book and you're trying to be an advocate for people with, that are homeless because you were one. You know what it's like to be them. Um, yes. and yeah. you know, it's the same thing, you know, like you said with me, like I'm doing the same thing with people with disabilities. They know what it's like to be them. That's another reason why they trust me so much when they come on here, because a lot of them are afraid yeah. to share their story and they don't want it to say it because it's like, well, no, yeah. no one's going to accept me, but it's like, they come on here yeah. and they know I will accept them because I am like them and I can't turn my back on them. And that's what you're doing exactly. with them. Like you can't turn your back on them because you are them and, and they're suffering and you're not anymore. And you got to be grateful for what you do have like you now you have a wife you found someone who actually accepts you and loves you and you know she could have took and take one look at that big scar on your face and goes nope next but she loves you for who you are she didn't care about your past and what you've been through um and and that's what makes life great but yeah if you sit around constantly wondering why me and again we all do it there's nothing wrong with it it's just how long you sit in yeah yeah that's that's where we start that is the starting place and Kind of where I got stuck there is the other message I try to tell people is I got stuck there because there was no more answers. No, there was no chanting whisper that came from the sky and said, all you have to do is, you know, this and that. then I'll bless you. Nothing came. No answers came. And but I did learn, TJ, I, I did learn. And if if I could go out with this message and you guys never heard from me again, this is what is the most important thing for everyone to realize that has these internal invisible disabilities. This is where it is, okay? This is my this is my theory about us as humans. We keep hearing that we are spiritual beings 
in a human experience. And I'm not religious. I've been there. I've done that. I've had keys to little churches where they give me a key where I can just come in and be there by myself sometimes because that's what I asked for. I've been there. I was the only guy sitting in this little church, little sanctuary, quiet with no lights on, no shoes on, sitting there, you know, socks on the carpet, talking to God. And from there, what I've realized, okay, my anger and my depression about my tricked adoption and my anger and my disgrace about getting kicked out of the army. And by the way, I never did see combat action. Okay. Don't get that misunderstanding. I didn't come back post-traumatic stress over that. Right, right. I was post-traumatic stress trying to figure out my damn childhood and my teenage years. Like, why did I have to see five stepfathers? And, you know, where's my real dad? You know, what's going on? And anyway, here's my testimony. Here's my testimony, okay? You know what thing, you know, if you wear a wristwatch and you look on the back and it says water resistance to 100 meters, let's say, water cannot get in. Right. Yep. My heart was so hard and so angry as a young man, 20, 30 years old. I was 34. I was 37 years old when I was living in a tent out in the woods. My heart was so angry. Light could not come in and there was no light to give away. I didn't have a good damn thing to say to anyone. Okay. My light, my heart was light tight is what I say. My heart was light tight. Light could not get in. Light was not coming out. And I think God knew in his wisdom before I was born what my life was going to be like. And he knew (laughs) I was going to get to a point where I hated myself. I hated being alive. I kind of hated the world I was in. I was angry at people just for being in my vicinity. He knew that. He put a little flicker of hope in there. And he sealed it up in a little bitty place down in there that I would eventually have to find it on my own because I wouldn't let anybody help me find it. You know, I was resenting. So my testimony is my heart was light tight. And but there was a little flicker of light in there. And when I found it, I was able to use that kind of like a little candle in a dark room. And I found my way through those hard times by looking inward instead of waiting for something to come to me from the outside. Like you said, you know, let them be healed. Let, let them be blessed. Look at that guy. He, you know, he needs shoes, give him shoes. I'll deal with my pain. Bless him first. That's where it started. When I took my eyes off of who hurt me and who did me wrong, who tricked me into an adoption. That's when I actually started seeing the path to kind of, healing things and really what started healing things you know we talk about forgiveness a lot and we always hear it that's the next message in the spiritual journey is forgiveness you know it's perfectly okay to offer someone forgiveness and it doesn't have to mean now we can call each other and be happy now we can hang out and tell jokes what it means is i'm letting go of the poison they put in me because it's been killing me i forgave my mother because she's a human and she made a mistake but there's something i'm going to go to my grave with that you know she doesn't really deserve 
me loving her freely and me calling her all the time, calling her on Mother's Day, calling her on her birthday. Because my brother and my four sisters, when they call me, it's so awkward. We They don't really know what to say. They don't know how to, like, be a brother. You know, how, did, how do you be a brother? I never had a brother. And so it's awkward. And then my father, you know, it's very awkward for us. Uh, so it's, it's, it's sort of like we are all trapped in this. It's no longer a depression. It's our reality. You know, it's just the way things are. So I would say half of us, half of us in all of this problem have accepted it. We're just, we've reached acceptance. And we're like, well, that's just how it is, man. So let's go from here. The other half is like, oh, I, you know, this is too much for me. It's, you know, the best example is my youngest sister on my father's side. I would call her up, TJ, and I would just talk to her like, yeah, I went here and I went there and I was in Alaska and I was in Portland, Oregon, and I've been to Germany and I saw this and I saw that and my mom remarried and this and that happened and I've been away from my children. I did not know that I was triggering her depression because there's things for her that she hasn't dealt with yet. But the way it came out was her being angry. <laughs> so she would like get mad at me and text me things. And she blocked me on Facebook one time. And I'm like, why are you attacking me? You know, we haven't had a history. And so the other side is when I started offering forgiveness, I started realizing genuine forgiveness is not necessarily for them. It's for you. It's that invisible disability, that invisible wound, that scar that's on the inside. It's always going to be tender to the touch. But when you learn to just actually start accepting and forgiving, not forgive and forget, not run through the valley picking flowers and loving each other, it's just so that you can get that damn poison out of your veins, man. That's, that's what worked for me. I'm remarried now. My wife is so wonderful because we sort of met each other and we were both struggling with some really hard issues. And what we found out was these are things that society says you're not supposed to talk about. You're not supposed to deal with. Like you said, it's taboo. And so now I have a, I have a brick house instead of a tent. I got three acres of land. I'm not hiding out behind a business building or sleeping under the trees or the bushes. I got three acres of land and it kind of sucks because it's, there's a lot to mow. <laughs> I got to mow grass now, you know. And I'm a semi-truck driver. I go all over the United States. I'm serious. I go everywhere, and I see homeless people out there. And, you know, the next step is, what do we do for them? Yeah, it's you know, close so to home. There's this, you know, yeah. I drive by, and I see them out there, and I'm like, Jesus, man, there's so many of them, TJ. There's, oh, I know. That's you look, worse. You look at the numbers, and, yeah, well, it's the only community, Prior to COVID. as we talked the other day, it's the only community that you can say your community is growing and it's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. They're growing. And it's real numbers now. Like before COVID, the way that cities and counties would count their homeless people, it's not necessary. When they were saying there were 6,000 people in homeless in, in Portland, Oregon in, in 2005, I thought they meant there's 6,000 people hanging outside. No, there was 2,000 people basically consistently outside, always different people, not the same, but there was 2,000 people outside. 
there was like a thousand people sleeping in their cars and RVs. There was a thousand people on waiting lists for temporary housing, and they were roommating with their family members or their relatives. All of those people got counted as homeless because it inflates the numbers, you know. The, the city gets more money from the government when they got 6,000 versus 2,000. Well, now, because of COVID, I'm kind of making the statement that the numbers you're hearing in homeless are the real numbers of people they're seeing out there. <laughs> right. It's devastating and stuff, but, you know, we're going to get through it as a society, man. We and, you know, to be optimistic, we're not, I don't really believe we're ever going to actually end homelessness. That's like saying we're never going to go to war again, you know. Right. There will be homelessness. But when we start seeing the homeless people as authentic people that are hurting, they're not just lazy that don't want to get a job. Wrong they're sleeping in a tent yeah. for a reason. And I'm asking people to have a little bit more compassion for them, especially any holiday. But Easter's the other big one because we see everybody in their Sundays, Sunday school clothes, you know, and everybody looks like the... the you know, leave it to Beaver family or something. But these people that are in homeless, their wounds, their 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 wounds are real, and you know the pain that they have, they'll burst out crying and they don't know why. You know, yeah. well they're they're and it's like they're a huge reminder of I think why people so avoid them so much and treat them the way they do is because they're a huge reminder of what could happen to them if they made a couple bad choices. You know, we talked yeah, about this again the other day. We, we, we talk about, you know, again, you're one step away from being disabled. You're one step away from being homeless. It's not that far. Yeah. We just think because you have a hundred grand in your account that it can't happen. A hundred grand doesn't mean shit. A million dollars doesn't mean shit. Like no, you can lose it. that very quickly with a couple bad investments or a couple mispayments on your bills or taxes or whatever. It could be gone again. Same with disabled. You can get into a car accident and you're just like, someone I've interviewed or just like me or whatever. Um, and I think people, yep. are, people are afraid of them because they know that that can be them or maybe it is something in their family also, but in general, like that, you know, it, they're just people. They go through shit. And yes, some of them deserve where they are because they made those choices. Some people made really terrible choices and they put themselves yep. out there, but why can't we help them? That's their, that's their rock bottom, though. When they when they finally hit rock bottom, it doesn't really matter how they got there, whether it's their fault or not. They had to get to that point in order to deal with that thing in their life that brought them there. You know what I mean? Right, and that, and that's why this like this whole episode is kind of all together because it's it again. You're a father, and and you're now out in the world where yeah. people don't want anything to do with you and your kids don't see you and may not even want to see you. And you're out there and you now you're thinking about them and wanting to get back to them, but you can't even, you know, find a, an apartment. You can't even get a job and you're sitting out there, yeah. you know, whatever you're doing. Some, sometimes you're, maybe you're doing something productive. Sometimes you're probably just dicking around and, and just, you know, f just going through life. Like as if yeah. it's, you know, you're smoking weed and you're just doing things that just kind of, you're numbing the pain. You know, that's, you know, what you said about, trying to fix our problems. A lot of times we try to fix our problems, but we don't, we just want to numb it. We don't really want to really yeah. solve the issue because to solve the issue, you have to get in, you got to dig deep and you actually have to open yourself to every wound. Yeah. And you, you know, it's like, it. right. Like if I, if, if you're driving and you hit a child and then you get drunk, okay, you may not feel it. You may be fine with that. But then when you wake up tomorrow and you're in handcuffs, you still hit a child yeah. with your car. 
So, you yeah. know, it's a strong analogy, but the reality is it, it points out the fact that, look, if you don't take care of the shit, just because you're numbing the pain doesn't mean it ever went away. Um, nope. And so... It gets you know, worse, man. Yeah, it, it gets worse. I mean, it, sometimes it goes it away for a while, but then when it comes back and, and it fades back into the light, it's going to be harder than when you left last left it. Because it's been growing. Even without your attention, it's growing. Right. And again, we don't well, have... Well, me and my kids, we've, we're, not, we're not like... Uh, me and my children are more able to communicate and connect now because they're adults now. They're not teenagers. And I, I can tell you the main thing that children resist when the absent father calls them on the phone. The children just want to talk about them because that's what they're familiar with and they're comfortable with. They would, the children would rather tell the dad what they've been doing in school and how it's going at home. And it's up to the dad to just kind of listen and absorb and just say, hey, I love you. That's really great. And get off the phone. But as soon as, especially the homeless dad gets on there, the homeless dad tries to tell the children adult stuff. The children don't understand your damn adult stuff. <laughs> the children don't really care why, you know, you're not with their mom. And they don't care what you, you know, definitely don't give the kids some damn message to tell the mom or whatever. That's manipulating the children in the middle. But if the fathers can just learn to be more patient, because TJ, I was always in a panic. I was like, oh, I got to tell him this. I got to tell him what I'm feeling. I got to tell him what I'm thinking. I might, you know, this and that and the other thing. That's the thing that drove us apart was because I was telling them adult stuff that was too heavy. They didn't understand my adult stuff. You know? Right. And it takes a very strong, courageous person, especially a father expecting a phone call on Father's Day or anything, just be willing to set yourself aside for a moment and realize these children have, they're being bullied in school. You know, they're watching other kids beat up each other in school. They're watching children that come home and, you know, they let themselves into the house. The parents never home. The kids fix their own meals. They get, them, they get themselves to school. This is a different society we live in now. But mm -hmm. our children still don't understand our adult stuff. Right, and you're also and when the father. And we try to unload it on them. Yeah. And, and you feel, you're supposed to be, you know, in a sense, the protector. And you, yeah. you're gone. You know, again, that, that's the thing. Like, there, there's things where you, you look at it where, you know, I'm sure sometimes your kids have said things to you, like awful things to you. And there's a part of you that's like, fuck you. And then there's another part of you that's like, no, fuck me. Because I yeah. just, they like, because there's a part, there's parts that they don't know and don't understand. And not everything really was your fault. Certain circumstances just right. got in the way. And then there's a part of yeah. it that really is your fault. And then it's, it, yeah. it's a constant conflicting pain. And I, again, I don't have that pain, but I have, I've had things like that where it's just like, I'm battling it when if someone's mad at me for something and it's like, I can't really fault them to the degree that I want to, because I know there's certain information that they don't know. And, yeah. but then there's the information that they do know, there's some stuff that I don't have. And if I, that's the thing, we have a hard time, anyone putting ourselves in other people's shoes. And if we oh, don't yeah. do that, we, if we always think how we're supposed to come from that angle, like we're, we're always going from our angle, we never look at other people. So if you start to do that, you can start to see where they're coming from. 
Um, and again, in your case, it's your kids. So you obviously love them and, and you know, there's things they may have said that comes from pain and, and, you know, there's a lot of things oh, they yeah. probably, you know, with you being gone, there's probably a lot of things they didn't come to terms with. So now that you're back in their face, it's like, Hey, dad's back. And it's like, who are you? Yeah. And, and, you know, and it's like, you know, they, they feel some sort of animosity and, you know, don't, you know, and there's, well, they're feeling yeah. naturally defensive. And this is also another universal thing that, the, the dads that are out there right now that are going to be dealing with this in the future, my children grew up and they're having children now. Well, their stepdad, I'm sorry, I have to admit and be the man. He has earned his place in their family. I couldn't be their dad. They needed one. Mm-hmm. I couldn't actually be a responsible father. I couldn't even send them money and just do nice things for them. And, and even when I could, I didn't because I was like pissed off at the mom, you know, whatever. Right. I took it personally. This man has earned his place in my children's life. And what I've done recently, and this is only, this is it, I'm 53 years old and it took me this long to come to this sort of forgiveness. Right. But I started sending private messages on Facebook Messenger to my former spouse, which I've never done. I've never interfered with their family because I wanted my children to respect me for that later on, even if they didn't understand. I missed out on their years, but later now that they're coming back, dads, I've earned my children's respect by allowing them to be a family with this man that took the place that I could not be in. So I sent my former spouse a message and I said, I totally believe that this man deserves the cards and the candy on Father's Day. He totally deserves to be acknowledged as the father of the family because when I was out there, TJ, I saw girls, a lot of girls out there as homeless runaways. And they were they were pretty quick to give up sex for dope right. or give up sex for, a, you know, some guy that's going to take care of them on the streets, they basically become, you know, his partner. They're, she'll call him his boyfriend, but if, if she cuts him off from sex, he'll cut her out, just go get somebody else. Right. They have to find a way to survive, and they trade their body for their survival. My two, my three children could have been that. Well, I'm sure the they underlying theme girl. is they didn't have fathers in their life. They probably were in foster care. There's a lot of children that run away from foster care. But the thing is, my children didn't grow up having to be out on the street. They had a stable family, and it's because that guy gave it to them. Right. What's your relationship with them now? My relationship with them now? Yeah, kind of. Pretty much, I'm Wayne, and he's dad, and I'm okay with that. Right. Uh, That took some time to adjust. I didn't like that feeling at first because I wanted to earn my way back and I was always going to be their dad you know he could be there but I'm their dad you know I had to go through that actually there's a lot of distance we are very distant from each other and I mean they live in different parts of the country but even if we were in the same room there would be a great distance between us because Mm -hmm. we've missed so much there's 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 absent memories because we didn't create memories together So now that we're coming back together, we're not coming back together in relationship as a recovered father. We're coming back in relationship together as I'm Wayne 
I've been on a long journey. I used to be homeless. Now I'm a truck driver. You know, here's some pictures of places I've been, you know. And we're starting there on purpose so that we're people getting to know each other as people. Right. And underneath now, the unspoken thing that we don't have to talk about, they know I'm their dad and I know they're my daughters. Right. It's like but this, I don't um... have to impose on them and say, yeah, you know, you, 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 call me your, you call me your dad, you know, that's gone. Right. It's kind of like the show I started watching where these people go on this flight and it goes into some turbulence and, and I, I don't, I haven't finished it, but apparently five years ago, five and a half years go by. And for them, it was a couple minutes and they come back oh. and all their family, you know, they're all happy to see them, but a lot of them have had other lives. They've married other people. You know, there's a lot of things that yeah. have happened and they're, they're, wow. they're looking at them like, Oh my God, I love you. But I don't love you the same. Um, yeah. You know, I found another person yeah. and, you know, I have another children or I have this and this and that. Um, and it, I it, thought it, you were gone. Yeah, yeah, I thought you were gone. And like, I, it took me a long time and I, I waited for you, but you never came. And now you're here. Exactly. And now I'm trying to pick up the pieces if I even want this to happen again. And um, uh, That's sort of a perfect analogy. Man. Yeah, I, it's weird because I just started watching it today. And as you say that, like, if you want to get weird and spiritual and all that, like, you know, maybe this interview was meant to happen. Cause honestly, I'm, I'm thinking I'm, I'm just going to put this one out next episode. Now I, I just delete the episode I actually had ready. Cause I didn't have anything for father's day. I just was going to do my one year anniversary, but, um, this actually, it, it applies way more for how I've been feeling. And, you know, again, you know, every time, you know, father's day is right here. And uh, I plan on calling my father after this interview before, or after, we met like I was just going to do it cause it's father's day and you know, our relationship's weird and I'm trying to figure out where I want it to go and what direction. And, but yeah. I still want to make sure he's okay and he's living and you know, um, and so there's so many things you know, that kind my, of parallel to this. My dad has been, and this is, this is another golden little nugget of someone that has, I'm, I'm further along in the path and I'm trying to send a message back to people that are just starting this journey. Okay. <clears throat> My dad is a very, very simple person, very simple man. He was a meat cutter for 30 years. And to him, that's amazing. You know, he never missed a day of work in his life. He hardly ever, they forced him to take vacations because he was always at work, you know. Very simple man. He didn't finish high school. He doesn't have a philosophy. He's not into religion. He watches reruns of Gunsmoke. That's his life, okay? <laughs> so... The family around him over the years kind of have tiptoed around this topic. You know, where's Wayne? I wonder where Wayne is. He'd bring it up once in a while. Oh, I wonder what Wayne's doing. And they're like, yeah, we keep hearing his name, but we've never met him. So now, long story short, very forward, now I'm here and I'm back in his life. For about three or four years, especially on Father's Day, I would call and it would be about three minutes. Because there was no dialogue there because he was so confused and so depressed that I didn't know how to reach him. And I was so confused and depressed, he didn't know how to reach me. We didn't know how to talk to each other. Come on, you know. So what I'm saying is there's a lot of things that went unsaid, even the family around him. Before they go over, they call each other and say, okay, well, don't talk about that thing, you know. Don't bring up Melissa's F on her report card today. You know, dad don't need to hear that crap. 
Well, over the years, there's been so much that the family hasn't really included him in. They just go visit dad. He's watching TV. They go over there to hang out. They check it off their checklist. Then they leave. They go, okay, shh, we finally visited dad. We got that out of the way. Now let's go to the mall. Well, my dad's been sitting there consumed with confusion because he don't know what's going on with anybody. Recently, it's been on my heart so much. I think it was kind of the last dark door that I had to open and go in. You know, I had, I had to go in there, TJ. It's been the door I didn't want to open. You know what I mean? And I've been, to, I've, mm. I've been able to dance around it and go into these other doors and deal with other areas of my life. Well, I keep coming back to this one. That's the one that says, do not enter or enter at your own risk. You know, right. I opened the door and what I had to do was I had to call my dad and I had to tell him a lot of things that I've told you on this interview. He had never heard before. He didn't know that I had, my mother was married five times. You know, He didn't know this and that. He knew about the fake adoption because we had to deal with that at one time. Right. But there's been things in my life he didn't know. And I said, you know what, Dad? I said, you know, you don't know me really as a person. I said, but you know what? Marijuana hasn't touched my lips since 2012. And I smoked pot for 25 years of my life. I haven't had a cigarette since 2011, and I smoked cigarettes for almost 30 years. I haven't had a drop of booze since 2010, and I haven't had any medications for depression or anything else since about 2012. And he goes, well, damn, what do you do, you know? Mm -hmm. I said, I'm telling you this. I said, because, Dad, I'm proud of myself, you know? Most of my life, I said, I had no choice but to smoke pot because I didn't know how, I didn't have the skills to deal with my feelings. And I said, they were giving me medications for depression and they were giving me medications for sleep apnea and they were giving me all this other stuff. And I said, pretty soon I was so medicated that I couldn't actually really process how I think and feel about things. I said, so I went stone cold straight. And I said, now I'm trying to tell you, like, I've really missed you. He goes, well, I didn't think you did. I said, I've missed you terribly, man. I said, I just didn't know how to tell you or how to deal with it. Because when I get on the phone and say, I miss you, you go, yeah, me too. I said, then we get off the phone. Right. I said, I want you to talk to me and tell me, like, what do you miss about me? He goes, well, damn it, I missed everything. He said, man, I, you know, he said, I've, I've been with your brother. We went fishing a lot. I never got to go fishing with you, you know. I took him camping a few times. I never went camping with you. He said, I always hated that. He said, because I thought we could have fun. You know, as an adult, it ain't the same. You know, two men sitting there trying to fish, it's like, it's pretty boring. You know, it's, if you're not catching anything, it's time to go. But when you're with kids, they're skipping rocks. They're picking flowers. They're chasing frogs, you know, and it don't matter. But I had to deal with my dad and tell him, I said, dude, I've tried to hide feelings and I've tried to just like be the man people wanted me to be. And I've tried to be the father. And I said, dad, I failed at everything I've ever tried to do. <laughs> I got kicked out of the army, man. You know, I got divorced. I ended up on dope. I said, I was living in a tent as a homeless person. He goes, yeah, Jason was telling me about that. And I said, well, I'm telling you because I'm going to deal with it. And I'm going to tell you. So the family keeps telling me, don't tell you things that'll make you depressed. I said, I have a feeling you're going to be depressed if I don't tell you things. So let's get it out in the open, you know. For the first time, TJ, in, in I don't know, 10 years or something, we were on the phone for like 20 minutes. 
it's usually three or four minutes, you know. Right. Progress. He, and we were on the phone, and he just now. So now I'm breathing differently. Like today, I can breathe again. I feel like I've got some things out that he needed to hear, whether he wanted to hear or not, and. I think the family's going to find out indirectly as they start visiting with him, like, yeah, Wayne told me this and Wayne told me that. And they're going to be looking at each other going, we didn't really want to deal with this stuff, you know, but they have to, I have to, so they have to. And I guess my message goes out to people. The longer you carry something that, that you know inside is burning you, if you carry it and carry it and never deal with it, it does not go away. Like you said, it don't go away. No. You got to keep trying and pursuing what, I mean, if you want something, how bad do you mean? People say they want something and then you ask them how bad and they go a, a lot. How bad? How then, bad do you then, want it? And show it. How bad do you want this? Like you're going to put a lot of shit on the line to get this. Like mm-hmm. for this podcast, like I stress out all the time and you know, maybe it isn't the greatest thing for my health, but it's because I care and it's because I want it because I want to do something good. I I could literally do this podcast and talk about only eye conditions. I can only talk about certain things. I don't have to care about the entire disability community. I don't have to care about the homeless community. Right. I don't have to care about racial relations. I don't have to care about none of this stuff. But yep. because How I do. wrong sometimes. Right. But because I do. I mean, I can literally just get on this podcast and talk about me every episode. Yeah. But I don't want yeah. to because I don't find any interest in that. I don't care about as much as that. I only share my story so that other people feel comfortable with sharing their own. And, you know, if I, you know, because I care so much, it, it you know, it, it, it's almost like a burden on me. Like it, there's so much I have to do and there's so much, you know, I have to put into this. If I didn't care, I wouldn't be going and finding people like you because it's not like it's, I, I'm not just going to click on one site and just find Wayne. I have to really yeah. look and I really have to find people and reach out to them. And again, I'm going to get a, a lot of saying, nah, I'm good or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. you know people like you who are that open. You know you're at a point in your life where you are open to talking about it. But if I got you ten years ago, you probably wouldn't have cared to even talk to oh, me. Oh hell no! Right? Yeah, you wouldn't have liked my answer back then. <laughs> right, and so that that's the thing. Like, yeah. yeah, if you want something bad enough, you have to fight for it. You can, and you're gonna get no's, and you're gonna get, you know, pushed away. And there's a lot of things that are gonna happen. But if you again back to what you're saying, if you get knocked down, you have to get back up. Because, and again, people like you and I, we're used to getting knocked down. We're used to being down. And every time we get back up, we get, you know, leg sweep back down again. Like we just continue. Even even if we're, we literally put our foot down just to get up. We got our foot kicked back down because we didn't even get close to getting back up. But we, we got to keep pushing because otherwise then there's no point of living. Like you, if I made a pact with myself years ago, I said, look, you're depressed. You hate your life. You want to die. Either kill yourself now. Or if there's a reason, if you want to live, even if you don't know what that reason is to surviving and you want to figure out what that is and you want to find out what that little light at the end of the tunnel is, pursue it. Or yeah. if not, if you're not going to do that and you're going to sit here and cry and you're going to be angry your whole life, then just end it now. Yeah. And so I just made a pact. Live with a sense of curiosity instead of a sense of like really dark hatred because of the way things are. Right. Live with a sense of curiosity. Right. And the dark cloud is always going to be over your shoulder. You're constantly running it from it. You're, you're always, that's the thing. It's not, it's not like you or I are out of the woods. Like our lives are still impacted by it. But it, it, you know, mm-hmm. if you sit and can constantly look back and you keep seeing what's back there, it's going to consume you. And eventually it's going to win and it's going to take over and you're just going to be, you're going to end it or, or you're just not going to be the person you want to be. 
But if you continue to push forward and just know it's there and accept that it's there and just realize that you're, you can live without it or you can, or you can live with it there, but knowing that you're, you're a better person without all, without your past and all the shit and you're, you're, you're moving forward then you can do good things and, and you can accept the fact that you have, you know, an invisible disability or you have mental health. Like it is what it is. There's nothing wrong have with wounds, it. wounds, man. We're wounded. We're wounded people. Yeah. What you're saying reminds me of, I know you've, you've listened to some Tony Robbins. Everybody's heard of some, you know, yeah, know to some Tony Robbins. Dude, what you, what you're reminding me of right now is like, if you want to end on this note, it would be, so Tony Robbins says the main reason most people suffer. There's a difference between pain and suffering. You can smash your finger in the door. That's pain. Right. Suffering is when you dwell on something and you hurt because of it. An emotional suffering. He says all of us have a blueprint about how we think our life should be. And when our life does not match that blueprint, we start suffering. We start suffering, and as fathers, as fathers on Father's Day, or as homeless people in general, or like you, I'm sure if you had a choice, you would be doing something with your legs. You would be running, you would be jumping, you would be doing things, or you would be doing something where you actually had to have 20-20 vision. You could see something sharp across the field, but you can't, okay? When I was a so kid, I loved cars. Like I was obsessed with yeah. cars. I knew every car by its like emblem or its body shape. Uh, and now I could yeah. care less about cars because I know I'll never be able to drive. So I, I didn't know what yeah. I wanted to be because I was four and a half. But I, when I saw cars, I knew I loved yeah. them and I wanted to work with them, work like, on them. I'm going to have one of those. Yeah. Right. And it could have been a piece of shit car. Well, it's just, I just yeah. cared about cars. And yeah. And, and now it's like cars is the least thing. Like Transportation is the only my problem, but cars is not something yeah. I fascinate about. Well, when I was willing, and that's the key message here, until we become willing to change our belief about that blueprint, the suffering will never end. No person, no amount of pot, no amount of pills, no amount of psychotherapy, none of that stuff changed my suffering. It, it, it gave me a skill to look in public like I wasn't suffering, and I was able to hold a job longer. But it didn't end my suffering to where I actually experienced what they call joy. It's just a distraction. Like a joy. Just a joy for being alive. And yeah, my kids don't call me dad. They don't call very much, actually. They love texting. <laughs> They'll text until your fingers are cramping, but they don't call. Okay? Right. I've had to accept that. I used to hate that. I was like, well, I'm not even going to answer them if they're, not, if they're <laughs> not an adult enough to talk to me on the phone. That's different generations. Simple. Yeah. So my blueprint had to change, dude. And when it did, I'm telling you, Wayne Dyer says, Wayne Dyer says, uh, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at begin to change. Right. It doesn't. The, the object doesn't change, but when you change the way you look at it, your blueprint changes, and you're willing to accept the change that you see. Your suffering, literally comes to an end and you start living a life like with curiosity and you know come back to some sense of adventure that's sort of what you're doing by interviewing people you're doing this it's an you, this is a great adventure and you know it might be an alternative to what you you always thought you'd be doing 
but I think you're going to have a major impact in the world, and you're leaving a footprint right now because you have this sense of adventure about it, but you also have like a sense of mission. This is my assignment. This is what I'm wanting to do right now. So you're fully in it. You, I can, I've heard some of your, your podcasts. You're fully in it. And uh, I really appreciate you having me on today. I really didn't, ex- I didn't expect you to give me much time. It's like, oh, okay, let's talk about the Father's Day thing. You know, it's kind of cheeky, but I think we've hammered down some universal things that people suffer because we're human, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll like I said, I'll do you one better. I will put this episode out Tuesday as the Father's Day special. I didn't have anything for Father's Day. I was literally just going to do my one-year anniversary and, you know, thank everybody for whatever. And I can just do that on Instagram and maybe in the beginning quick. But, yeah, I think this is a very special episode. It really has a lot that people can pick up on and, and, and take from themselves. Because, like as I said earlier, you know, you can take homelessness or being a soldier, all these different things. It's just a couple little instances of how these things can happen to you. And, you know, everybody has some struggle with somebody in their life, whether it's an ex or, or a father, a mother, or a brother, whatever. There's somebody in their life that they still have love for, and they probably will always have love. And Some people are traumatized because Trump isn't there anymore, and that's their whole purpose in life, you know? <laughs> yeah, let's not get those people started. Oh, we all have something. We we all have something. That's what we. That's what you and I are talking about. Is yeah, even a pet. It, it could be anything. It, it just, you know, it yep. just use your imagination and, and and listen to what we're saying. And then, like I said, it, it all makes sense. It's just, you know, we're all we're all damaged in some way. We all have our problems. We all have things we we keep inside that we don't want other people to know, and, and including ourselves. We don't want to realize yeah. it. But if we if don't you deal with, deal with it. With it. Just start to deal with it. Realize it's there first. Obviously, you know, like people who have addiction issues, the first thing is to realize you have a problem. Well, realize it's there and then go from there little by little. You don't got to do it tomorrow. Just slowly unpack it and and figure out what that problem is, why it's there, how it happened. And again, if there's a way to fix some problem with someone you care about or whatever this issue is, then go for it. Again, it may not go the way you want it, but as you just said, like, Right. Not everything's going to go the way you intended, but that's life. And, you know, when people say life is unfair, yeah, life is completely unfair, but it's not fair for anybody. It's just some people benefit more than others, but we don't know what they're going through. We don't know what they lack or don't have. Um, And so we just got to take our, we got to take our lives and we got to stop comparing to others. And we just got to be ourselves and try to make the best life we can. Um, Because I'm sure you look back in your life and you realize how much time you wasted because I know I do, and I'm not as oh, old as yeah. you. I'm only 32, oh and I look God, at yeah. all the time I sat in my dark filth of just depressed and hating myself, and I could have been out there trying yep. to make more friends trying and could have do something. do something progressive with my life, and now I'm, I'm sitting here in my apartment. Again, I'm doing pretty well for my life, but it's like I feel like I'm so far behind, and I'm trying to make up for it. So that's why <laughs> I'm constantly trying to move so quickly, and I'm so impatient yep. because I really am tired of being stuck. Um I think that's one thing you and I kind of without having without having a language to describe it a part of the reason I know a part of the reason you're reaching out to people is because of that like you you see that and you're trying to say hey are you going to sit around and cry today or are you going to get out in the sunshine you know and do something you know 
Right. That's where I'm at, especially with fathers on Father's Day. This whole issue, dude, I've been called a deadbeat dad ever since I had my first baby. My first baby was born in 1988 when I was like 19 years old. The year I was born. But when I was 19, yeah, when I was 19 years old, I was just realizing, damn it, I just experienced my mother had five marriages. I don't know what a dad is, you know. Right. How am I supposed to? What was my blueprint of a father? You know what I mean? <laughs> Pick one. <laughs> Right. And it's all relative because, again, so, we don't know what someone's going through. And then you see what you went through with your mother and the yeah. the blueprint of how to be a parent, mother or father, was obviously yeah. really screwed up. And so yeah. you're just going to do whatever you feel is necessary or whatever you took from it internally and just went, OK, this is kind of a parent being, you know, I don't want to yeah. be that. And then, of course, you're a young guy, you're having sex and there's girls and it's like, yeah, this is yeah. fun. And then you don't really think about consequences. And then kids come from yeah, it and it's pregnancy. like yeah and then you you, yep. you have you have kids and whether you wanted them or not it's like well now i gotta do something what do i do well let's see i don't know who my dad is guys my children my kids called me a sperm a sperm donor right. you know what i mean I, I had to come from that right yeah and so my blueprint had to change to where i'm not a father i'm not a parent yeah but i'm an outstanding citizen as of now you know i I've become kind of like an outstanding citizen. I mean, I work as much as I can. I pay my taxes. I've got a house. I pay my bills. But other than that, I, I'm doing what I can to kind of reach out and leave my, my footprint, you know. And I've, I've had no choice but to adopt the belief that even if my three daughters choose uh, because of their own reasons, let's just say that we never really connect. Okay, let's just say that. Let's just say I try and try, and we just never connect. It just doesn't really happen. Right. But I got six grandchildren right now, and I'm pretty sure they're not done. But because of Ancestry.com and different things, my grandchildren are going to be curious about this guy called Wayne. You know. Yeah. And so, what footprint are they going to see when they look for me? Right. So, by what you and I are doing today, and I'm, I'm going to try to get more active too. I'm going to. I'm going to hammer down on trying to get my craft going, but I want my grandchildren to find something so that they can say, Hey, this guy actually did something. I respect this guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, that's, and I'm willing, if I never hear, if I never hear those words come from them, I go to sleep at night and I force myself to smile a little bit because even if I'm not here, when those words come, they'll have no choice but to admit I became a respectable person. And that's what I decided to do when I cut that rope down. Yeah. Yeah, I just had no idea that the path was this, this long. <laughs> I had no idea the road was this far, but I'm here. Okay. Right. Well, I mean, so you can tell your, your audience it was worth it. It was worth it, man. Yeah. Well, and I mean, for you, I'm sure it's worth it for you. You know, you do this and when you lay down at night, you go, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. I, we did that today. Right. Yeah, I try. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't know where you're taking your life, but either, you know, we're in the next direction, but either way, like I said, anything you need, I'm here. Uh, we're obviously going to be friends. Um, yeah. You know. I hope to do this again sometime. Like yeah, maybe. Comes maybe up, man. Yeah, maybe we'll do another topic or something we could talk about, or yeah. maybe down the road, like a, an update on how you're doing. Um, but yeah, either way, we're going to keep in touch regardless of the podcast. Um, well, I'm going to start, I'm really hammering down on trying to research on the COVID, how, you know, 
city governments, the mayors, the chief of police, everybody, every city is now forced to stop and turn around and see the homeless community because they have no choice. And it's not necessarily that new apartments, new affordable housing is coming out and new homeless shelters, but we now, we're, we're finally able, Jay, we're able finally to start persuading the public opinion and the, the consensus are changing to where the homeless people are no longer criminalized just for being homeless because they have to be. And we are starting to realize as a society, these people are in our communities, whether we like it or not. And just because they're out there living in their tents, they're still a part of our communities. They're still a part of our neighborhoods. Okay. And there used to be a time when we were very proud of our own neighborhoods and people were out helping each other just because we have that in common, you know, and neighborhood after neighborhood right now have no choice but to see these homeless people out there as one of their own. Yeah. We're getting to the point where it's no longer us and them. We're getting to the point finally where we are starting to realize they you know, they're, they're just normal people. They all have families. They all came from families. They're just, we, we tend to say, there's that homeless guy. You know, it's kind of like, where did he come from? You know, <laughs> well, he's one of us. He's in our neighborhood. And, you know, sometimes a sack lunch ain't enough. A pair of shoes, a backpack, that's not enough for these people. They need to know that we're accepting them as if they're still a part of our communities. We just haven't figured out how to fix it yet. And that's what I'm that's what I'm seeing. So maybe here pretty soon we can do something, you know, how this is how COVID has been changing how we actually interact with the homeless and uh, not only that, but people with disabilities, man. I mean things were shut down, dude. You couldn't go get a haircut. You couldn't get your driver's license. You couldn't you couldn't go to the freaking library for crying out loud. I cannot imagine somebody that has a real physical disability and they need some, you know, I know people that need, you know, some kind of back brace or some kind of special neck brace. They couldn't get an appointment to go get it. So they're laying in bed without it. Right. That's what COVID did to us. Well, let's, uh, let's put a pin in that. We'll, we'll, we'll figure something up down the road. We'll, we'll definitely bring that back, especially since we're getting about, we're, you know, getting over a year of this and, um, yep. we'll see how 2021 unravels, you know, even more so. And, uh, we'll do this again. Um, yeah, I'm following you. I don't have any social media for you to follow yet. I mean, I've reserved a domain name and I got a website template and stuff, but I haven't really built anything yet. <laughs> right. I'll, I'll promote it down the road then whenever you get something and yeah. you just let me know. Um, yeah, buddy, I hope you had fun. This was a, this was a good interview. Oh, it was awesome, man. Um, I'm not getting phone calls from very many people, so I love the idea that I was able to actually do something today that had a that had an impact, or you know, well, it has a greater meaning. I texted you Happy Father's Day. I didn't know if it was a good thing to say or bad. I mean, I know it triggers feelings. I know it's a good thing. Hey, it's a Happy Father's Day because I'm not in, I'm not living in a tent out in the woods, and I'm still on my journey, you know, and I'm excited about that. So that's awesome. All right, buddy, I'm gonna let you know how it comes out, and like I said, I'm gonna put this out Tuesday. 
right on. First time I've done this where I moved it all the way up just because of a certain feeling <laughs> and whatever. But we're we're just gonna do it, and you're gonna be my one year anniversary episode. So I appreciate it, man. All right, brother. I will talk to you in a few. All right. Thanks. Bye. All right, brother. Bye. All right, guys. Um, so I just wanted to do a quick message to my own father. Um, probably should prepare him before I do this, but so dad, um, you know, our relationship's always been a little off and, um, you know, a lot of stuff I've talked about, a lot of stuff I haven't, you know, our relationship's been very odd and, you know, certain circumstances, your fault, some, I can't take too much of a blame because I was a child, um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot you played a part in and, you know, I just wanted to say I do forgive you and, you know, it, 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 life goes on and things happen and, you know, as I've said, I know you're getting older and constantly have health issues and, you know, it plays a part in my feeling of always wanting to know if you're all right and I'm trying to be a better person and just to know you're okay and, you know, again, our relationship may never be what you want it to be, but it's something and I'm trying here because I still do care about you and I still always have love for you. Um, no, I have not. That's maybe the first time I ever admitted that out loud, but I do. And I mean, I haven't neglected it. I just, I mean, I do talk to myself. Of course, everyone knows this. But I try not to talk to myself too much about my problems because just you're just going down a rabbit hole. I know, but you have problems with your father too, probably, right? No, he's a good boy. Um, anyway, uh, but yeah, um, whatever happened, happened, um, you know, sucks we can't go back in time and try to fix it and, you know, especially grandma, I really wish that didn't happen the way it did and she died and never got to say goodbye and, uh, of course everyone in the family kind of just followed your lead and didn't want to intervene and, you know, lost a lot of relationships with a lot of people that are family and it sucks, but you know, we are where we are. We can't dwell on the past. And so I hope you have a good Father's Day. And I will, like I said, I will always have love for you. And I hope nothing but the best. And maybe at some point we can, you know, meet up and, you know, try something else out. Try something new. Um, anyway, thank you to my father. Thank you to Wayne. Uh, hopefully everything, him and his children figure some sort of middle middle ground and they can fix their problems and... Uh, I really do hope for the best. Uh, this was a very powerful episode, and I hope you guys take something from it. Uh, again, happy one-year anniversary, and uh, I will see you guys in the next episode. All right, guys, see you later.